1: Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Mara Barclay about building a culture of belonging. to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today.
1: Me too. It is a pleasure. We've been preparing for this for a while, and I'm excited to have a nice dialogue with you. Today, we're going to be talking about how we can build a culture of belonging within our teams, within our organizations. This is one of my favorite topics, so I'm excited to explore this with you and to learn from you and get your insights. Around this. As we get started, I wanted to share Maura's bio with everybody. Maura Barclay currently serves as the Chief Mindset and Culture Officer at New me Inc. She is the CEO and founder of Changing Greatly, a culture and talent consultancy that helps organizations create psychologically safe, inclusive cultures that unleash talent and love for work. She is a certified change management professional, a certified talent optimization leader with Predictive Index, and a neurofacilitation practitioner. She has had the privilege of bringing her thought leadership to Fortune 500 companies, the U.S. military, and the International Monetary Fund, among others. She specializes in curriculum building and training. Her original harassment prevention curriculum was adopted by the federal government as continuing education for the U.S. military. And I could go on and on, but I'm going to pause there. Anything else, Maura, that you would like to share or highlight with the audience by way of your background and
0: Uh, I'd say that's plenty. Uh, The one thing that is not, I don't know if it's mentioned there, but when it comes to the culture conversation, I think that it is relevant that I did work as a professional firefighter for a little while. So that definitely informs my opinions and my perspectives about culture and belonging.
1: That is really interesting. If we can drill down on that for just a moment, Um, I, I, I I don't know that space all that much other than I've listened to some podcasts and watched a few documentaries about what firefighter culture is like, particularly for women, <laughs> um, yeah. and and what it's like for people of color uh, in different parts of the world. So this is intriguing to me because I I can, at least from a little bit of the background, I know from watching some of these things, it seems like I, I could see how this would lead you to focusing on um, a culture of belonging. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience as a firefighter and and. I'm sure there's many wonderful things, but if there were some challenging things as well that needed to be addressed in terms of the culture uh, within the the firehouse.
0: Yeah, I I think it's important to start every culture conversation with uh, a very clear directive that there is no blame, shame, or judgment around the people who may be presenting behaviors that are exclusive or um, uh, racist or misogynist. I want to be clear that People who behave that way have been trained to do so. Yeah. And it's also quite subjective. If, if certain world wars had gone differently, who knows who'd be in this country running things, right? So it just happens to be white heterosexual men who are in charge of most things. That's, that's just completely subjective. So I always want to start with creating a lot of psychological, psychological safety for white men. Anytime I have these conversations, nobody's trying to accuse anybody of anything. All right. So. And Now that we've got that baseline, I think the story that that's, that tells the greatest, I guess, insight it gives the greatest insight into what it's like is Boulder was one of the most progressive departments in the United States at the time. We had the highest ratio. I think we there was seventeen percent or twenty two percent women at the time, and we had two African American men, so we were very progressive by by standards. And there was one day. Where I was working with a female lieutenant, a female engineer, and I was a female firefighter. And even though they were gay and I was straight, it was still it was still the women's party. And I remember in that moment feeling such relief, John, because there was just the shorthand that we had. We shared such a deep understanding of each other's lived experiences that it was it was this uh, sort of. Uh, sort of this container that we really enjoyed. Now, it just so happened that the Lieutenant and the engineer happened to be married at the time. So, well, at the time they actually, they weren't allowed to be married. They were domestic partners. And when the department realized, oops, we can't have that dynamic, that's not, you know, we wanna be careful about that. At mid shift at night, they replaced the engineer, the driver with a man. And I remember in that moment feeling like, oh, I gotta be careful again. Now I've got to make an effort. I need to be respectful of his lived experience. I want him to feel included. And I remember needing to accommodate that individual to create a dynamic on the crew where everybody felt equally valued and nobody felt left out. And that is a process by which white men typically are not taught to do. And they find it inconvenient, bit of a push. They don't like it. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're used to being accommodated, not the other way around. And it was in that moment. I'm like, oh, this is why all the guys struggle right here, because nobody has they don't expect to do it. So mm-hmm. it's just a massive load of cognitive dissonance. And, and it brought, what it did, John, was create a lot of empathy. I got an empathy moment for the men. So in general, I, I was I was really on a mission to be the easygoing woman because there was a lot of women there that came before me that made it really nice for me. And they had to complain all the time. And then I heard the men complain about them. I'm like, well, I don't want to be here. And that was a big mistake. (laughs) That was a huge mistake. You never want to be the cool. Let me just give the women this. Don't be the cool woman. It won't end. Well, I promise. Don't do it.
1: (laughs) And, and I suspect particularly in that kind of traditionally hyper-masculine environment, um, that that's probably an extra challenging place uh, to be as a woman. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I, I can understand why that would be your take after reflecting back on, on your experiences there.
0: Yeah. And I think that there's a great parallel here for homogenized leadership teams. For example, as soon as a woman comes onto a team, the men will immediately test her and see where her boundaries are and see what they can get away with and let her know where what her place is that's very common and women often are invited into these spaces thinking oh this is great they get it and it's not they don't i mean they do because they 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 understand the value and necessity of having a woman or a person of color there but they will then basically beat you in and women who don't expect that feel very betrayed But if you anticipate that this sort of tribal behavior is coming your way and when it doesn't be pleasantly surprised, but this is the mindset that will help women be able to stay in their agency and not get right, not, not feel like they're getting ambushed, but I've heard lots of stories like this. And of course that the men do too. They're they're They push a little bit, see what they can get away with. Is that, is that word? Okay. Is this joke going to land? Am I going to get in trouble for that? Can I trust you? it's landmines.
1: Yeah. And and to be clear, it's not, I mean, we're talking within the firefighting setting at the moment. Um, We're talking, you know, a gendered environment at the moment, but this could be in any environment and it could be with any um, diverse group, right? Um, That, that these kind of situations and conditions can exist, uh, which is really, as we zoom back out and talk about building a culture of belonging, yeah. um, I love the focus on belonging because a lot of times we, we talk about diversity and equity. Those are important, um, but having equitable practices while important and having diverse teams is important just because you have diverse people around the table doesn't actually mean that you're going to that it's going to do much of anything for them or for the organization you need to have inclusive cultures you need to have belonging cultures where everyone feels needed wanted valued ha- having the opportunity to contribute in meaningful ways while being their authentic self and not having to hide Or closet themselves, or not trying to conform to, you know, whatever the 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 preconceived or preset culture uh, might be, and so that that's a challenging uh, thing to do. That's it's hard to get from. I mean, many organizations struggle even with equity and diversity, but it's hard to bridge from equity and diversity efforts to the inclusion and belonging efforts. um, And and you're highlighting just one context where that can be really challenging.
0: Indeed. And I think the operative word in all of this is grace. We're dealing with a particular demographic that was taught that everyone will adapt to you. Your job is to be the smartest person in the room and to never ask for help and to never show a vulnerability or your peers will pounce on you. And that creates a very difficult starting point, a very a very counterproductive benchmark when you're talking about belonging, which is the successful Metabolization as a unit.
1: Yeah, very good. Well, let's start talking about some of the the inclusive practices that you've seen, uh, maybe in the in the firefighter setting, but in other organizations you've been a part of, and as you go and consult with, and as you coach and and train others around inclusivity and belonging cultures. What are some of those best practices and the types of things we can do to disrupt? You know, often what I don't think is necessarily ill-intentioned, it's it's not like people wake up in the morning thinking, how am I going to be a misogynistic jerk today? Like, this is what they're used to, um, and and people often, you know, they're, the hackles go up and the resistance goes up very quickly right. if you start to push on it, even in gentle ways. So how do you start to disrupt that? How do you start to develop that culture of inclusivity and belonging?
0: You have to back way way up. You got to go to the 30,000 foot view and start with what I'm what I call intentional signals. And a great example of an intentional signal is putting your gen- your pronouns on your Zoom your Zoom name for example. And that sends a signal that I'm aware of gender pronouns. I'm aware that your gender pronouns may not look or may not match what you look like and I am completely on board. That journey with you. I'm here to respect you and I'm here to help you feel included and valued. So just by putting pronouns, it's very intentional. It sends a signal. So you it needs to be a very uh clear uh initiative that everybody's involved in. And I, I think what what winds up happening is there is a <clears throat> there's a membrane, an executive void at the very top where. Nothing. What happens outside the void does not. There's no inter, you know. It's not semi-permeable. It's kind of exit only. And pronouns are a good example of one signal. Another one is, oh boy, this is an employee experience. That is a matter of employee experience. Very clear, discernible behavioral norms that are culture, I should say, that are value based, need to be in the job description here's what we expect, right? We, we expect you to come as your authentic self. And we recognize that when we have everybody do that, there may be some friction, right? So frank discussion, being open to having those moments, being able to receive that feedback and give it respectfully. Very high emotional intelligence is what we expect from every single person in our organization. Once you send a signal like that in a job description, that person will know whether or not they're ready. Like, think about Ray Dalio. Think about principles. Everybody knows when they interview for that company what's going on. I love that. And P.S. Not a lot of people can hang with it. So putting it in a job description and making it part of the employee life cycle. And then uh, there's a whole it needs to start at the top. The. There needs to be a very clear signal of, I would call it servant leadership or humility or openness to upstream feedback, and it must be witnessed. That's the thing. I don't want to get too lost in the sauce here, John, but there needs to be very clear modeling from whoever has the most power and influence at an organization. Think of family. What are the house rules? Who sets the house rules? I'm not saying that the executives are the father or the mother. What I'm saying is whoever's in charge makes the rules and everybody who wants to stay in the family is going to follow those rules. So it doesn't matter what's behind you. Those core values you got on your wall or in your employee handbook, they're completely useless if your behavior does not match. So at the highest levels, the signal needs to be, here's a behavior I'm modeling. I'm going to do a town hall and I'm going to make sure that somebody challenges me and you're going to see me invite it say thank you and respond to it. And my response might be, I don't know. When a CEO does that, the whole organiz- organization will change literally on a dime or at least the beginning of it. That is a, a massive wave, right? I, I have this little saying that that I I, I want to coin, John. Maybe this, this podcast will help me do it. An ounce of CEO commitment is worth a pound of HR policy.
1: Mm, I love that.
0: <laughs> Who, right, whoever has all the power and influence, that means... A a tiny bit of effort from you is going to go miles versus miles or, you know, like mountains of effort from people who don't have all the power and influence trying to get an inch. So Mm -hmm, signals mm -hmm. from the people who have the most power and influence, whoever that is, very clear modeling, and it needs to be witnessed. and It needs to be consistent and, and making it intentional and conscious. Another way to do it. So this would be a third example, John, is to have very clear actually be fourth in addition to the JD. It would be very clear operating agreements within teams. Everybody knows that the, whoever's leading that team, they start every meeting with the standard operating procedures, which is we're not leaving here until I hear an alternate, al- alternative point of view. Uh, we're not leaving here until every single person has contributed. So what that does is, oh, now I have to say something. I'm the only Asian man here but I am not allowed to just sit here in my amazing talent, which is why they hired me and be quiet. I have to contribute. And if if I'm the one and only, I'm afraid, right? I'm not sure it's psychologically safe. So what these operating agreements do is create that psychologically safe container. It de-risks that behavior of taking issue. It opens the... It opens the, uh, I would say it gives permission. That's a better way to put it. Gives permission for creative abrasion or constructive conflict. And once you have people bringing themselves and seeing, oh, we can disagree. We can get really actually passionate about it, not disrespectful. We can get passionate about it. As long as everybody feels like they've had their say, even if they don't agree with the decision, they will buy in and perform. And that's a piece that's missing. That's where belonging yeah. really works in, in uh in conjunction with performance output.
1: Yeah, people want to be heard, right? Be heard. Um and, and, and so often safe. people people don't feel heard or safe to be, you know, to share. Uh and it can't just be performative. It can't just be nice words that are said. It can't just be, you know, a, a nice slogan or a good mission vision statement. It like you, you have to to actually model it. Uh and like I love that that saying that you're coining um around uh, the the efforts of the CEO versus the efforts of you know middle management or HR because it, it's so true HR, you know, there can be all this internal messaging and HR can do this big policy push and all this, like all these systems and everything. And then the CEO can go to an all aboard meeting or, you know, some sort of a town hall setting and say one little thing that could undermine the whole thing, right? (laughs) Almost instantaneously, because then people are like, oh, well, nobody actually cares about this because obviously the CEO doesn't care. Um, The opposite is also true, though. You say something, uh, it can send that signal and then you repeat it and you say it again and again, and you make it a part of your continual messaging, people will listen and they'll pay attention and you'll start to move the needle. So I love that focus. I think that's absolutely true. Um, And then I, you've, you referred to this several times. uh, But as we think about resistance to change, as we think about resistance to, especially this, this idea of uh, a culture of inclusivity and belonging, you know, we're in a a highly bifurcated, politicized um, kind of social uh condition at the moment um everything has become politicized you know you have woke warriors etc like people who who otherwise i think would be all for the idea of like yeah let's make sure everyone feels safe everyone feels like they belong on the one hand but then on the other hand you know because this whole idea has become politicized uh they're they're uncomfortable with with uh, uh leaning into it or or they just have extra layers of resistance um and so I think part of the psychological safety behind this is let's try to depoliticize it. Let's try to, um, validate people where they're at, like meet people where they're at and help people grow together. Um, you know, the truth is, you know, I'm a cisgender white dude and I have privilege. That's just the reality. But if you come to me and say that to me, you know, what's going to happen usually, you know, if you, if you talk to a white guy, that's not used to hearing that, um, they're not going to be cooperative, probably most of the time. They're probably going to put up barriers of resistance and yeah. and work against the efforts that you're trying to make, even if they might be inclined towards it in the first place. So we have to be careful about how we message things. We have to be careful about how we include people and and make a you know a big tent for allyship uh, yeah. for people so that they don't feel like just because I'm a straight citizen and a white dude, like i I really am not part of this conversation. Um, no, we all are. We all have to be. And we need allies, just like we need um, those who are, you know, in in populations that have been marginalized in the past and maybe currently. Uh, so all of this kind of feeds into um, the challenge that we have as we're trying to create these cultures of inclusivity and belonging. It's certainly not easy, uh, but it's it's worth it. It's 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 necessary, and I mean, it's it's the ethical and morally right thing to do, I think, as well.
0: Agreed. I'd like to offer what I what might be considered a very disruptive perspective, <laughs> but you know, that's kind of my thing. So we've got it so backwards. For example, when we're looking for a panel that has the power to influence, we need to be looking for people who have that power to influence. When we're looking for a panel to educate. That's a little bit different to bring a lived experience to people who have power, who are asking, what's it like? What do you need? So let me be clear. So for example, I remember in Congress, I think it was, it was either Congress or or a Senate hearing on women's rights, all white dudes, mainly religious white dudes from all different. I'm like, where are the women? If you want to know about women's experiences and women's health, you want to definitely ask women for that education which is, this is different. Now, when we're going to the DEI space and we're talking about getting, let's say, I don't know, funding for an ERG or something like that. I wanna see at least half of that panel be active ally cisgender white men because that's who has the power to do it. I wanna see a senior exec on there. I need to see a VP. I wanna see a COO because this stuff really impacts operations. It really impacts that department and what they're responsible for. So that might sound sort of crazy, like oh, the one place that we get to get together a pat you know, a diversity panel, and like, if you really want this to fly, get a white guy who has the power to sign the thing, right, or the power to take the initiative and say to everybody, guess what? This is what's up, and we are bringing a person of color onto our senior leadership immediately because we don't have this lived experience, and half of our, you know, our clients. Yeah exactly see where i'm going with this so yeah. i think there needs to be more white male representation but power active allies people with influence and they're out there and, and to your point uh john the worst mistake we can make is throwing privilege in the face of someone who i can promise you has starting to develop a quite a bit of shame and doesn't know what to do with it because you're sort of born into this privilege and suddenly uh the rug gets pulled out from underneath you um a lot of these men feel like they're feminists they really believe themselves to be feminists they believe themselves to be active allies they have daughters they have they have wives they want to see have equal opportunities they don't want to pay anybody differently that said they have been completely blind to their privilege because it is it is uh, i would say it's a, a fact of omission yeah, yeah just like the obstacles that people of color and women have to face they're invisible to white Men, because the experience when you wake up and go out into the world as a white man completely different than as a woman or as a person of color. And the thing that white men need to do is immediately acknowledge the privilege. It, you're not apologizing for it. To be clear, you're. It's not fair to ask you to do that unless you feel like. I- I feel terrible what has happened and I'm not a part of that. Or maybe I did subscribe to that. I see the error of my ways. May a culpa, please forgive me. Moving (laughs) forward, that is over. Here's what happens next. That can change the nation. It's going to take white men willing to just own their privilege, not be shamed and blamed for it. And it's going to take more. And and listen, women and people of color, we're exhausted from the grace that we give (laughs) We're exhausted, yeah. and yet you know what? It's a, it's a marathon, and now we're at a place where the needle is that's starting to swing. The needle's starting to move, and this is the time to create psychological safety for cisgender middle aged executives so that they <laughs> feel it's true. They're defensive, and I don't blame them. I really don't. And there's I want to say also that there is a population that is pretending to be asleep. the de- The data around what we're talking about is uh, it's proven it's unassailable it's coming there they're either going to be legislated to do it or the boards are going to force the issue it's coming so why not be the hero why not get in front of the narrative and just be like all right that was that was wrong i'm ready but i get it i remember when that male engineer came and i was like oh all right
1: yeah all right okay
0: you know okay
1: yeah. yeah we we've just scratched the surface. There's so much more to talk about here, but I know at the time I need to let you go here in just a minute um but i, I would just say hopefully this has um given listeners some some points to think about uh, as you're considering you know your efforts within your own organizations uh This is something we need everyone's help with uh whether you're a white sister and der dude uh or whether you're a woman, whether you're a person of color whether you're um, whatever you know, name, name the thing. We need everyone from all groups to be a part of this work and a part of this effort. Like you said, we do need to offer grace. I do understand that that is incredibly exhausting, um, but it's also the productive way yeah. to 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 drive change. And so we need to find a balance there of making people you know, appropriately uncomfortable to challenge some status quo and some assumptions, but also giving enough grace that people can function and that they don't shut down. Um, let's continue to make that effort. I think it's, it's worth it. Um, there's been many improvements made, but there's tons more to do. Uh, and, and we're really just at the start of the marathon, like you said, well, Mar- Mara, it's, it's a really great opportunity to be with you today. Before we wrap up, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience, how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
0: Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn. That's, that's the best place to get in touch with me. And I do have a website, com. And uh, I, I also work with the Predictive Index, which is a really great way to depoliticize, to de-emotionalize this whole process because it works with behavioral drives, not race or gender or anything like that. So uh, I would love to talk to people about that if they're interested. So look me up there. And uh, I also, I'd say uh, the final word on the topic is this. We're all just kids, you know, walking each other okay. home. And if we can remember that every single one of us has suffered something and at the end of the day, do you want to be right or do you want to have things change?
1: Well said. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Mora can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.